and think about the original Christmas carols. And this evening, we're going to look at two of the original songs uh, that we find in Luke's gospel. Uh, Open your Bibles back up to page 1026 if you're going to use the church Bible. If you're visiting us, if you're not used to church, uh, then... uh, then know that we spend a lot of our time kind of opening the Bible, reading it, and spending time thinking about it together so we can understand it. And it is our contention that as we read this book and uh, come to listen carefully, we can actually hear God speaking to us through this book. And if you'd like God to speak to you this morning, why don't you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that... um, the original Christmas was all about joy. And we ask as we, as we read these verses, as we seek to understand them together, that you would speak personally to each one of our hearts. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. How did Mary think about Christmas? Well, look at verse 46, the little number 46. It's about the right-hand column, about of a, sort of a third way down the page on page 1026. This is what Mary thinks about Christmas. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It is very hard to contain joy, isn't it? It's very hard to... St- to be full of delight and stay silent. Children all over Scotland are just starting to get quite excited to think about what next Saturday will bring. And joy is like a balloon that you try and hold underwater. It just won't stay there, will it? It just has to burst up to the surface. And Mary, as she thinks about the events of that first Christmas, she cannot help but magnify God. That's uh, sometimes what this uh, part of God's word is called, the Magnificat, because it comes from the, the Latin word for magnify, and the, and the Pew Bibles here translate it glorify. To magnify is quite simply to make something bigger. And uh, Mary wants to make God's name bigger. And so she sings this song. She wants to advertise the greatness of God who, who, uh, to anyone who will listen. And she's rejoicing in God her Savior, it says. Now we can become um, so overwhelmed with doing the Christmas things that we can actually miss out on the central delight and joy of Christmas. And do you know what it is? It is this very thing, to magnify the Lord. The real source of joy and delight this Christmas will not come from those delicious mince pies, those Brussels sprouts, the uh, Doctor Who Christmas special, uh, or, or whatever uh, pair of socks auntie gives you under the Christmas tree. It is this, to delight in God, to magnify the Lord, to magnify Mary's Savior. I don't know about you, uh, but uh, this is what I want most this Christmas. It is to experience fresh joy. And to know God personally is the source of real delight. And this is the cause of, of Mary, the mighty God, as she says, Uh, in verse 49, that the mighty God has done great things for a nobody like her. That's what she's delighting about, that the mighty God has done great things for a nobody like her. Look at verse 48. 
For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So there was Mary. She was living in obscurity in Nazareth. When God sent a messenger that would change your life forever. Look, look back at the other side of the page to verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now to hear you're going to have a baby is big enough news for most women. And what Mary was being told here must have been absolutely overwhelming. She's going to give birth to the king of Israel. Now we've had the the engagement announcement of a royal wedding uh, next year. And Carol Middleton, the daughter of a builder from Southall, had no idea when she was pregnant with Kate that one day her daughter would be in line to be the Queen of England. But but this news to Mary is just so much more significant than that. Her baby was the one promised by God a thousand years before to King David, their greatest king. A king was... that that, that God made this incredible promise to that from his offspring there would be a king who would bring in a golden era an era that would change the whole world a king who would have authority over all other kings who would have the greatest kingdom a kingdom that would last forever because the king would be forever now that's a lot to take in isn't it and it's, it's rather perplexing news for Mary as she points out verse 34 how will this be since I am a virgin And so the angel continues to explain. This unique individual will come about by a unique conception. God's Holy Spirit would create this kind of holy embryo inside her. And so this child would be holy, the Son of God. That's why she's praising God. Holy is his name. And I doubt that Mary could have taken in what was being said to her. That the baby that she would bear would be fully human, and yet fully God. Now that is something that we, we all struggle to get our heads around. And yet it is the best explanation as you read the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. It's the only way you could really come to terms with a person who said the things that Jesus said and did the things that Jesus did. As, as, as people have puzzled and thought over the eyewitness accounts, they've just had to come to this conviction that he was fully God and fully man. And I found it fascinating yesterday to read uh, in the newspaper about a new BBC drama that's going to air tomorrow night. It's going to be in the prime time slot where the one show normally is at 7 o'clock. 
And the BBC has commissioned this uh, show to tell the story of the Nativity uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And uh, they've used the scriptwriter Tony Jordan, who is uh, an award-winning EastEnders scriptwriter. So you can only imagine what the dialogue's going to be like. All right, Mary! <laughs> anyway, he started the project as a, as a skeptic. And this is what was interesting as, as I read this article yesterday. He started off as a skeptic. And yet as the project developed, he found it had the ring of truth. And he said this, If you accept that Jesus is the Son of God, why would you not believe that Mary was a virgin and that God must have had some hand in it? And the key for him was to read on about the life and the teaching of Jesus. And this is what he says, The words of Jesus Christ are the most truthful thing I have ever heard. That's quite a thing for a scriptwriter, a skilled scriptwriter. They're the most truthful thing I have ever heard. As a blueprint for mankind, it is so smart that it couldn't even have come from a clever philosopher. And so Tony Jordan, surprisingly, finds himself with faith this Christmas. Now Mary didn't have a lot of time to come to terms with this. But what was clear was that the mighty God had come to a nobody and chosen to do great things for her and through her. The Holy One, the Holy God, the one who's separate and sinless and totally sovereign over the whole of creation had touched her life. Now how should we respond to Mary? Now someone to kind of magnify Mary. But I think we honor Mary the most when we copy her. We should magnify Mary. We shouldn't magnify Mary, but we should magnify Mary's Savior. Verse 46, do what she said. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the response that we should have this Christmas day, that we should glorify the Lord, that we too should rejoice in God our Savior. Now, two things will really help us do this. Number one, a humble self-evaluation. I mean, she was a nobody. She was a peasant girl, probably a teenager, in an obscure part of the world. Uh, I'll never forget when I first uh, uh, explained the Christian message to a man from mainland Chinese who'd never heard anything before. And he said, you're saying that God came to this world? I said, yes. And he came to the Jewish race? Yes. And he became a, a Jewish man? Yes. He just scratched his head. Too amazing. Too, too remarkable. He, could, he couldn't quite get his head around the, the kind of the bigness of God and the smallness of, of what he became. And we need to have a humble self-evaluation of our significance, of our importance. Look around the room. I don't think there are too many significant people. I mean, there was probably a few. You will look a fine bunch to me. But it's not that many significant people. Not many people will be writing books about us a hundred years' time. And if we looked into our hearts, into our thoughts, we would be further convinced of our unworthiness that God should have anything to do with us. And, and, and so we need a humble self-evaluation. And secondly, if we want to understand this sort of this joy and praise, we need to understand the greatness and the holiness of God. Think about how awesome 
God is. The God who makes the billions of galaxies and the billions of, of, of stars. Uh, think about how awesome it is that he creates the complexities of life on this planet. To create a world where a, a, a baby is conceived and born naturally is a miracle enough, let alone supernaturally. And we're eagerly waiting the news of two potential babies in this church. And that this holy, eternal creator God should come and enter into the world that he has made, to enter into relationships specifically and personally with individuals, with nobodies in the estimation of others, is incredible. And it is Mary's unworthiness rather than her greatness that causes her to delight in God's great deed for her. And see, as Christians at this time of the year, we, we have the privilege of reflecting on what this mighty God has done, that he has done great things for us. We, like Mary, are, are sinful, and most of us pretty insignificant. Who are you or I that God should choose to relate personally to us? That he should choose to come and save us? Who are we that God should choose to bless us and make us his servants? And that's what the Apostle Paul writes to the, the Christians in Corinth. Do you remember? He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before him. See, the coming of, of Jesus Christ into our lives, when we repent of our sin and trust him as our saviour who died in our place upon the cross, that is a source of never-ending praise and rejoicing. That his Holy Spirit actually comes to dwell in our lives, to make us new on the inside to make us brand new people is something if we take time to let it sink into us this Christmas will cause praise and delight and joy and we'll end up like Mary not able to do anything but magnify Mary's saviour and God because he has become our Savior, our God. And Mary wants us to see that her life is an example uh, of how God acts to all. Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. See, this is a song that can include us this morning. This is a carol not only about magnifying Mary's Savior, but it's about receiving God's mercy for the future. If we really understand how messed up we are on the inside, if we really come to understand our sin and how we've offended God, then we will realize our unworthiness. And we will know that what we desperately need from God is His mercy. We don't want God to give us what we deserve. We want and need Mercy, and this is what she's delighting in. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
Well, how can we be assured of that mercy? Well, notice from verse 51 that there is a warning and a promise. Look at verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Do you see that there's no assurance for those who are proud? And if we are those today who are prosperous and powerful, then we should be especially careful as such things are just intoxicating sources of arrogant pride. Money and might give the illusion that we are self-sufficient. And one of the great things about this year in 2010 is that we've been so powerfully reminded that it doesn't matter how much money you have or might you have, a volcano can stop you in your tracks. Or snow can bring a nation almost to its knees. And yet money and might can make us think, oh, we don't need God. We can take care of ourselves. Well, it's not true. And you see, if we have such a high view of ourselves and such a low view of God, then the true joy of Christmas will be lost to us. There's no assurance in Mary's song for the proud. Instead, there's a strong warning, isn't there? Most commentators on these verses say that they point to the future. That the future events are so certain that they're spoken of as happening in the past. And so what Mary's really saying, she's saying uh, in, in, in sort of past tense terms, what will really happen in the future? God will scatter the proud. He will bring down the mighty. He will send away the rich empty. And I think there is a warning that we need to hear. Because our, our media, our culture tells us that getting rich and famous is what life is really all about. And so people yearn to impress people like Simon Cowell or Lord Sugar to achieve fame and a six-figure salary. But they care very little about God's judgment, about God's assessment of them. And if we persist in such foolish thinking, we will not know God's mercy. The joy of Mary's Song stems from having a low view of herself and a high view of God. And that's what it means to fear God. His mercy extends to those who fear Him. And it's easier for the humble, the hungry, and the poor to get this. And to all who fear this God, whether you have material possessions or power or whether you don't have those things, to those who will fear this God, the good news of of the gospel is that God the Son, who enjoyed the wealth and power of heaven, actually gave it up. He made himself poor. He became a human being. He became a human being to a poor peasant girl, where he would end up being born in a stable. He made himself poor, so that through his poverty, he might make us rich. That we would know the riches of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's blessing for eternity. And this future is so certain that Mary can declare, He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. So this is a song about magnifying Mary's Savior. It's a song about receiving God's mercy for the future. And lastly and quickly, it's about being certain of God's help 
in the present because he keeps his promises. That's what verse 54 and 55 are about. Just think about the news that she got. She was facing some tough days ahead, wasn't she? And I'm sure this um, BBC drama is going to play on this a lot. She had to go back to her fiancé after three months with her cousin, and she's going to have to come back pregnant and, and explain to Joseph that this pregnancy was her not being unfaithful. She would have to face the knowing looks of her community who would notice the morning sickness and the growing bump. She had the anxiety, would, would the relationship be over with Joseph? Would she be destitute? And no doubt there are many here today facing tough days ahead. Maybe you've had news in the, in the past week and it's been deadening news to you. And you're fearful. Well, that's kind of the context that, that Mary is in, facing an uncertain future. But notice that she can still be filled with praise and worship to God because she's confident that God will help her through it all because God has shown that he will always keep his promises. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. The great news is that God is not like Santa Claus. The problem with Santa Claus is that his gifts and activity are very conditional, aren't they? If a child goes to a shopping mall and sits on Santa's knee, what's the first thing that Santa says? Um, Have you been good? And is God like Santa Claus? Well, the good news is, you know, he's not. See, if we thought, well, we can only get God's help if we're good enough, if we deserve it, if we earn it, I think that would leave most of us in a rather sad and sorry state. Look back at verse 54 again. He has helped his servant Israel, not because they've done more good things than bad things. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said. God's continued help in our lives as his people today rests on his character as a God who keeps his promises. And Mary is aware that God had made incredible promises to Abraham 2,000 years before her. You can find it in Genesis chapter 12 where God promises Abraham that he's going to give him a land, he's going to make him into a great nation and that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And this promise to Abraham would come through his offspring. And she realizes that that offspring was her offspring. God had made a promise 2,000 years ago. It had been partially fulfilled and now that fulfillment was taking another great leap forward in her pregnancy. In her womb would be the one who would bring blessing to the whole world. Jesus Christ. And you know, we can be sure today that God will continue to help his people because he's a God who keeps his promises. If we are those who've actually realized that we are nobodies, and yet that God is an awesome God, 
That God has made great promises to us in the gospel. And if we'll turn from our sin and our rebellion and trust Jesus, then we can be certain this God who always keeps his promises will be the God who can help us today in our time of need. See, this is what delights Mary. That the awesome, mighty God comes to a nobody and brings blessing and grace and mercy and salvation. Have you come to realize this for yourself? Have you come to recognize in this Jesus, a Lord, a Savior? When you have, when you've put your trust in him, can I tell you, you can be firm in the confidence uh, in the confidence that God is there for us, that God is with us. How do you make that yours? Well, you can do that this very morning by saying three things. Sorry, thank you, and please. To say sorry to God for your pride and sin. To say thank you for sending his son to be our savior. And and to say, please, please forgive me. Please change me to live with Jesus as my king. And you can know Mary's joy this Christmas. If you've got any questions or you want to come to talk to me about praying a prayer like that, uh, I'll stay here at the end of the service. And I'd be delighted to come and speak with anyone who wants to do that. How can we fail my Christian friends, to rejoice in God our Savior this Christmas. Let's pray, shall we?